Good morning. You guys doing well? Good to have you with us. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 John. Towards the end of the Bible, 1 John chapter 1, we'll look at verses 1 all the way to chapter 2, verse 2. Real quick question here. Who's going to the Super Bowl? Giants? Someone said Cardinals back there. They lost a long time ago, okay. He knows that. Yeah, that'll be interesting, huh? So uh, we got uh, Giant fans in the house. I heard a few Giant. How about Patriots? 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 Ravens? Ravens? Okay. And uh, San Francisco? Wow. West Coast. West Coast people here, huh? Check it out. Who doesn't really even care? <laughs> even more of you. Yeah, yeah, because we're going to study something really important here. This is really a great text. So if you have your Bibles, turn to First John. This is our The God You Long For Teaching Series Fellowship with God. Let me ask you another question this morning. This is a more important question. And don't need to answer out loud. Just keep the answer to yourself. But what is the best part of being a Christian? What is the best part of being a Christian? Certainly you could scroll through a, a long list of things. Immediately what comes to mind, there are certainly good things, not the best part, but things such as uh, that he forgives us of all of our sins. And he will, never, he will never, ever hold our sins against us because he died on the cross for our sins. I mean, would, how many really like that one? That's a, that's a good one. Would, would agree with me? It's like, oh my goodness. No more guilt and shame. We walk in the freedom that he has set us free from the, the penalty of sin. And that's a good one. That would certainly be on, on, a, on a long list of things that he's done for us. And how about this one? Not only has he set us free from the, the penalty of sin, but he's in the process of setting us free from the power of sin. And so we get sinned against in this world. And, and there's all kinds of things that happen. How many would agree with me that you take hits in life and, you, and, and hurts happen? And if you're not careful, you can become bitter and angry and all these things. And yet he comes into our lives. And as we give him the pieces of our lives, he puts our lives back together. He brings the wholeness. The Bible calls it holiness, wholeness, sanctification. That would be on that list. Certainly another wonderful thing that he does. And then the best is yet to come that he not only sets us free from the, the penalty and the power of sin, but one of these days he will set us free from the very presence of sin. No more tears, no more suffering that we go to be with him. How many would say, that's really, really important to know where you're going to go when you die. They'd say, that's pretty important and to know that when you die, you go to be with him and, and it's in a place where there's no, no pain, no suffering. He wipes away the tears. And those are all important, but none of those come close to the best part of the Christian life is fellowship with him. Because it's one thing to come to get from him, but it's totally different to be with him. To be with him is better, is better by far. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. And all of those are great benefits that come as a result of, of putting our faith in him. But, but fellowship with God, and that's what we're talking about here this morning. Let me bring up the speed of where we've been with this teaching series so far. So we've been looking at this whole idea of uh, the God you long for, looking at the nature and the character of God. In the first week we talked about, we asked the question, does God exist? We kind of walked through that. And we know that God exists not because of man's speculation, but because of God's revelation. He took the initiative and he reveals himself to us. And he does that through what? Creation, conscience, 
intuitively. We know that, a sense of right and wrong, and through commandments, his word, but ultimately through Jesus Christ. And so he has revealed himself to us. And then last week we talked about uh, an encounter with God. We looked at the third chapter of Exodus, Moses' encounter with God. And we discovered that you can certainly have a, a concept of God, but not until you encounter God, this concept of God goes to this reality. He goes from concept to reality when you encounter him. And you know that you've gone from concept to reality when you begin to realize, and this is kind of the burning bush experience that many of us have gone through, when you begin to realize that you have desires within you that nothing in this world can satisfy, and that at that moment, he becomes your most satisfying reality. That there's nothing more satisfying than knowing him and walking with him, and you have this encounter with him. And, uh, and so that's what we talked about last week. And so the question now is, as we're kind of working through this process, so the existence of God to an encounter with God to now fellowship with God. How can I, how can I maintain this, this appetite and this desire for God and grow in my fellowship with him and experience him in my life? If the best part of being a Christian is fellowship with God, if that's true, how can I do that? How can I cultivate that relationship with him? Because those who fellowship with God never grow bored because there is always more of God to know, more joy to be had, greater pleasure to experience. And that's where we're headed this morning. We're going to answer two questions. What is fellowship with God? What does it look like? And then how do I enter into that? How can I have this fellowship with God and continue to maintain that, that connection with him? I believe this text tells us that. It's a really a powerful text. So would you bow your heads with me? Let's take a moment. Let's pray. And then we're going to dive into our text. God, we are delighted to be here today. We are excited to, to once again through songs and through the scripture to encounter you. Father God, there is nothing we want more than to know you, to enjoy you, to walk in vital union with you to really develop this habitual conscious communion with you that brings fullness of joy and empowers us with your presence that enables us to to be what you want us to be and to do what you want us to do. Forgive us and set us free from our unbelief, pride, and idolatry that keeps us from the most amazing thing about the Christian life, and that's fellowship with you. Touch us, teach us, transform us through the study of your word, we pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Take a look at the text, powerful text. Now keep in mind, 1 John, this is the guy that was handpicked by Jesus to be one of the disciples. He was uh, taught personally by Jesus. And now he's the last one really living here. All the other disciples have been martyred, have died. And uh, one was uh, committed suicide. And what's interesting about this guy is that later on, he's going to be persecuted. He's going to be thrown in a pot of oil to be burned. Wouldn't that be nice? No, it would not be nice at all. In fact, uh, they could not kill him, the Apostle John, and so they exiled him to the island of Patmos where he writes the book of Revelation that the college group is going to be studying through. So pretty, pretty interesting guy. But this is a guy that knew Jesus. This is... And walked with Jesus, and he's going to describe this in this text. Really powerful text. Listen to what he says here. He says in chapter 1, verse 1, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes. And he's talking about Jesus here. And then he says something here, which we looked upon. Didn't you just say that? He just said we saw him with his eyes. But this is another kind of a word. It means that we were captivated. We gazed. We were stunned. We saw God 
through, it was in, in Jesus, the incarnation of God in Jesus. That's what he's saying here. Which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. So he's referring to Jesus using this phrase, the word of life. He is the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen him and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life. Eternal life is both quantity and quality. Anytime the Bible uses this word eternal life, and everybody will experience one of two. It'll be either eternal death or eternal life. It's where we're all eventually headed. And if you commit your life to Christ, that eternal life begins immediately when you put your faith in him. And so that's what he's saying. So this to this eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. He used that word again. It was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you. So what is, why is he saying all this? Well, he's going to tell us right here. Here's why I'm telling you this. I'm telling you this for right here, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Why do you want us to have fellowship? Right here, the next verse. And we are writing these things so that our, and also it also says your, so ours and your joy may be complete. There's no greater joy than to fellowship with God. So joy is a byproduct of people who walk with God, who have this fellowship, this relationship with God. And he goes on in this text and begins to describe what that means, what that looks like. He says this, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him is no darkness. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, so what does that, what does that mean? Well, if we do things that are contrary to what Jesus Christ has laid out for us in his word, So if we do that, which would be inconsistent with who the character and nature of God is based on the revelation of God's word. So if we say we have fellowship with him and we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Now, no, let me, everybody look up here just for a minute. You got to get this. He's not talking about perfection here. That just because you're fellowshipping with God doesn't mean that every, you're going to always do everything that he tells you to do. It doesn't mean that you're going to be perfect in every way. Because he's, he's going to make that very clear in this. Because as he walks through this, he says, if we say we have fellowship with him, and he talks about that. But then verse 7, he says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Why would he say that? Because we're going to need a whole lot of cleansing as we walk with him. Because he says in verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So let's just say you and I are hanging out and you kind of pretend like you have it all together. I would take you to this verse and go, no, you don't. You're a liar. I probably wouldn't say it quite like that. Okay. That would be very nice, would it? I just say, based on what this says, you don't have it all together. In fact, the more you walk with him, the more you're going to realize that you don't have it together because that's part of what the light does. We'll talk about that, but he exposes that that's in our life because he's all about bringing cleansing. Because look at the next verse, if we confess our sins. So the word confession means to agree with God. So as we walk with him, he's going to expose things in our life. We've got to be cool about it. We've got to be open and authentic about it because he wants to bring healing and wholeness. That's that whole process that I was talking about at the beginning. So if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness that is so cool that is awesome oh my goodness so i'm walking with jesus and that he's going to expose things in my life because of the light and so and then and then i might have to then i agree with him i said yeah i messed up there and and he goes here let me take care of that i'm going to heal you of that i'm going to 
I'm going to continue to work in your life. I'm going to take all the pieces of your life that are just kind of fragmented and scattered. I'm going to bring them all together because I want to bring wholeness to your life. That's what he's saying. So he sets us free from the penalty of sin. Sets us, he's in the process of setting us free from the power of sin. And so then verse 10. If we say we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar. And his, and his word is not in us. And then chapter 2 verses 1 and 2 he says, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Not that you, you don't want to make a habit of sinning to, to do those things that would be contrary to what the Bible teaches. But this is what he says. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. What does that mean? An advocate means that he's our defense lawyer. He's our defense lawyer that gave his life for us and he's never lost a case, okay? So you want Jesus to defend you before the Father because the case is won. He did it on the cross. That's what he's saying. He's your advocate. Listen to me. God is for you and not against you. No matter what you, regardless of what kind of sin you might have in your life, he is for you. He died on the cross for you to redeem you, to love you, to bring you to the Father. And so that's what he's talking about here. And then the next words are really great. Verse 2, he says, he is the propitiation for our sins. That's a word you use every day, isn't it? Propitiation. No, it isn't. Now, in fact, the word propitiation, it's this. It's a combination of the fact that when you look at the nature and the character of God, there's this part of his nature is that he is holy, and therefore he must bring judgment. He's a just judge, and he must, must bring judgment to sin, to our sin. But there's also this other aspect of God's nature and that he's loving, and he seeks our justification. He seeks our forgiveness. So you got the combination of both of these, his holiness and his, and his love. And this collides in this word propitiation at the cross that all of the wrath of God, literally the wrath against our sin, was placed upon the Son on the cross. So when he says the propitiation, he's just saying, hey, all the wrath, all God's wrath that was directed towards you because you, you were wicked and you rebelled against God, that was taken from you and placed upon Jesus, the propitiation that's a beautiful word, isn't it? I mean, he is the propitiation of our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Oh, my goodness. That is a rich text. This is the word of the Lord to us this morning. It is amazing. So let's talk about this. What does it mean to fellowship with God? What does it look like? Here's the first thing on your notes. It is heart satisfaction based on biblical soundness. And we saw that in the first four verses of our text. Did you notice that? So, we, so here's a guy that hung out with Jesus. Jesus, incarnation, God, incarnated. So this is God in the flesh. So it's a guy that touched him, saw him, hung out with him, gazed upon his beauty. So I would say that that gives him credibility. Would you agree with that? So this guy wrote Bible, and so there's credibility. So it's objective, you know, it's objective truth is what we're dealing with here. So it's biblically Biblical soundness, but in that biblical soundness, what is he trying to get across to us? Fellowship with God. And you can experience this God, the God that I, I touched, I experienced him. You can touch and experience him too, not physically, but spiritually through the work of the power of the Holy Spirit. So you can have fellowship with God. You can, you can have this relationship with God. In fact, my joy will be complete, your joy will be complete when you have that fellowship with God. That's what he's saying. 
So it's heart satisfaction based on biblical soundness. John 4.24, a cross-reference there that I put on your notes. Jesus was talking to the woman at the well, and she's talking about drinking from a well. And he says, well, you can drink from this well and any other well in this world, and you'll never be satisfied. But, but there is a well that if you drink from, you'll be completely satisfied. And he was talking about himself. He's talking about a relationship with him. And then he goes on, and she gets into the topic of worship. And then he says, he says that uh, the true worshipers of God will worship in what? Anybody remember? Will worship in Spirit and truth, spirit and truth. It's the same thing that we're talking about here. Spirit would be heart satisfaction. Truth would be biblical soundness. So the word worship there, he says, so those that worship, everybody worships. It's not will you worship, but what will you worship? And worship means to turn, the word there means to turn towards and kiss. So when you show your affection to God, you do it in spirit and in truth. Everybody shows their affection towards something or someone. We all do it because we're all worshipers. Something has a hold of your heart. But what he's saying here is that when, you, when, when God has a hold of your heart, when you do this, there should be this heart satisfaction, but it should always be based on biblical soundness. So spirit and truth. So this is kind of like, we know that God loves us. The Bible says that God is love. But, but it's, a, it's another thing to have that heart, that love deep into your heart. It is, it is when his love goes from your head to your heart. Heart satisfaction based on biblical truth. 18th century uh, theologian, Jonathan Edwards, this is kind of a paraphrase of what he said. And he said this, it is one thing to know honey is sweet. It's altogether another to have the sweetness on your tongue. So it's one thing to, if, if I had a bucket of honey up here and said, and everybody said, oh yeah, that's sweet. But it's altogether another thing to take that and put it on your tongue and to experience it. That's, that's what we're talking about. Heart satisfaction based on, on biblical, biblical soundness. Uh, so, heart satisfaction, biblical soundness. So, it's one thing to know that honey is sweet. It's altogether another to have that sweetness on your tongue. And so it is with God. It's one thing to know that God loves you. It's another thing to have that sense of his love on your heart. And they are worlds apart. Um, so, biblical soundness without heart satisfaction so biblical soundness without heart satisfaction, knowing that God loves you, but you're not finding and experiencing his love, is sterility. It's dead orthodoxy. It's formality. In other words, you can know a lot about God and know a lot about godliness, about how to live your life, and not know God. Just formality. You'd be like the Pharisees, just kind of going through the, the motions. And they were really angry, bitter, hard-to-get-along-with type people. Um, Heart satisfaction without biblical soundness is sentimentality and can even be weirdness. Let me explain what I mean by that. Uh, there was actually some churches here in the valley a number of years ago that they were saying that there was a revival sweeping through the land and then these people were experiencing God and then, and then how they were experiencing God is that they were clucking like chickens and, and then roaring like lions. And they said that was a manifestation of the, of the work of the Holy Spirit. So let me ask you this. Okay, they might be having some heart experience, but is it biblically sound? Would you, have, you, have you ever remember reading anything in here where people were actually clucking like chickens because the Holy Spirit came upon them and they clucked like chickens? I've never read that. I've never read that. And, uh, yeah, so they, they made that one up. Or uh, how about roaring like lions or anything like that? So that would be certainly an example because there are people that say, oh, I've had an experience with God. I talked with a guy a number of years ago and he was saying, man, I've, I've had these experiences with God. They're just really amazing. So I sat down and started talking to him and inquired a little bit more and found out as I asked him, so what, what brings this on and what are you doing? You're studying the Bible, you're reading or whatever you're doing. And he goes, no, I'm, 
your what? He was smoking pot. And so I said, uh, you're not having an experience with Jesus. You're just getting high, dude, okay? <laughs> and I know it might really feel cool and all that, but it's not, you know, it's hard experience minus biblical soundness. Okay? So, uh, so, I mean, it just, it can really get, it just gets really, it gets really weird. I've heard people say this too, that uh, I know that I'm supposed to stay married to this person, but I really feel that God wants me to go and marry this person. Yeah, praise God, go for it. If, you, if it's in your heart, yes. It's like, that's screwed up. And this is messed up. I said, God's not telling you that because it's not, that's a hard experience, but it's not biblical soundness. Where does that? Where did you figure that one out? Um, so that's, uh, that's important. Would you agree? And so heart satisfaction based on biblical soundness. This is what it looks like when you're, when you're experiencing God uh, as you're having fellowship with him. Here's the next one. This takes us to the next one. Is that enjoying God's presence. So there should be this enjoyment of God's presence. Verse 4 of our text did you notice this? Your joy complete. I want your joy complete. My joy will be complete. Okay, quick uh, pop quiz. We, did, we talked about joy, did a whole series on joy in the book of Philippians because the whole book of Philippians is about joy about a year ago. And so here's a pop quiz. Um, let's define joy and then let, let's define it by asking the question, what is the opposite of joy? Turn to the person next to you and just see if they know what the opposite of joy is. Real quick, do that, real quick. Also ask them, what is the counterfeit for joy? Because there are counterfeits. A lot of people think they have joy, but they really just have a counterfeit. Okay, so ask them that too, real quick. So you got the opposite of joy. What's the opposite of joy? And what's the counterfeit of joy? There, there, really, there really are. There's answers to those two questions, okay? So, so the opposite of joy. How many were thinking the opposite of joy is sadness? Show of hands, show of hands. Okay, okay. You're wrong. I didn't have to be so forceful, did I? It just made me feel good. No, you're wrong. Um, you're wrong. Actually, the opposite of joy is not sadness because you can actually be sad and have joy at the same time. You can be grieving and yet have joy. The Bible makes that pretty clear because joy is actually... How many were thinking the opposite of, is despair and hopelessness? Show of hands. You guys remember that. Yeah, cool. Right on. So it's despair and hopelessness. So the opposite of that, so the counterfeit for joy would be to find happiness in, in the gifts as opposed to the gift giver. So that would be the counterfeit. That's the counterfeit of joy. It's, uh, so you think that you have joy, but you're more excited about what you get from God than being with him. And so that would be a counterfeit for joy. And so there's a joy. Joy is a, is a buoyancy in your life. That is based on the pleasures you find in the eternal presence of God in your life and the privileges that he brings with him in that. It is a deep, durable delight in the beauty and the glory and the splendor of who Jesus is and what he's done for you. And if you have that, you can get through anything. You can get through anything. If you, if you have that, if you have him, and the result of that would be that complete Joy. Don't confuse happiness and circumstances and joy of the Lord. They are not 
one and the same. In fact, you can have one without the other. Did you notice the, the cross references there? Psalm 1611, in his presence is what? Fullness of joy at his right hand are pleasures evermore. You guys know uh, Psalm 34, 8. Some of you have, have quoted that. It's a taste and see that the Lord is good. Why would the Bible say taste? That seems odd. Well, the Bible uses sensory language. It's talking about that heart experience, that heart satisfaction. Taste and see that the Lord is good. It uses that sensory language. Uh, psalm 63, 3 is another great psalm. I love that one. It, it actually says that his steadfast love is better than life. So when it's saying that, it's saying there is no amount of money, there's no fancy home on the mountain, there's no great looking car, there's no romance relationship that compares to his, his steadfast love. There's nothing in this world that comes close to steadfast love. That's what it's saying. So there's this, there's a joy, a complete joy that comes just enjoying his presence. So let me ask you this. You can answer this one out loud. Which one of these honors my wife more? That I would consistently come to her to get from her or I habitually come to her to want to be with her? Which one would she would prefer? The, 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 the latter of the two? How many would agree with that? Latter of the two? Okay. You're wrong. Um, no, actually, you're right. I, okay, I, I just want to throw that out there just to kind of mess with your head. Are you confused now? No, and actually, that, that would be, if all I did was come to my wife, and, and any time I called her, it was always to give her, you know, a list of, of things. Hey, could you do this? Could you do that? As opposed to, let's just hang out. Hey, I love you. Hey, let's just hang out. Hey, let's have a relationship. If, if it's more about... You know, this list, as opposed to my love, there's, there, there's something uh, lopsided about my relationship with my wife. And that she's not really being honored by me. But so, so when I say to my wife, I love being with you, would you say that that's pretty honorable? Yeah. My pleasure honors her excellence. My pleasure in spending time with her honors her excellence. And so it is with God. If you have an ATM relationship with God, you're missing the best part of the Christian life. You're missing Him. If you're only coming to Him to get from Him rather than to be with Him, you're missing the best. You're missing out on the best part of the, of the Christian life. And that's that, that's that enjoying him and his presence. Um, because once, once you've experienced his presence, his absence is unbearable. And you will do anything to get back there to experience that. Because you don't always live in the reality of it. None of us do. But there, when you have that hard experience based on, that, on the biblical soundness, oh my goodness, when you experience his love, yeah, the Bible says that he loves you, but when you experience his love, you can take on the world. So you want to keep coming back to that. And, and it might take sometimes days, but you, through spiritual disciplines, spiritual disciplines are those things that we do to increase our capacity to experience more of that. And so once you've experienced his presence, his, his absence is is unbearable. You want, that's what you live for. You want to walk in this communion, this relationship with God. And in fact, an awareness of his absence is a sign of his presence in your life. So the very fact that you have that sense in your life, 
you know, that, oh my goodness, I, I long for that. I want that in my life is just evidence that he's working in your life. He's drawing you because you don't typically would want that unless he's working in your life. The very fact that you're sitting out there and as I talk about these things is your heart is being drawn. That's the Holy Spirit working in you, drawing you to the Father. If you only pray, if you only pray when things get bad or if busyness keeps you from prayer, then you are using God rather than truly wanting to be with God. So if I can go long stretches without really interacting with God and only when things kind of heat up in my life and then I run to him, it's just evidence. And this isn't meant to make you feel bad about it. I'm just telling you, you're just missing out on the best thing about the Christian life. And so my job is to kind of stir that up within you. Now, I understand because there was in the early days of Desert Breeze, you know, you read about all these dead theologians, they'd pray for three, four hours. I'm thinking, oh my goodness, I can barely pray for 10 minutes, you know. And I got this whole list of things I've got to do, and I'm like, ah. It's like, I can't even stay focused. And so even my prayer time was more of a checklist, but I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I've got to a place in my life. I can go easily for two to three hours without even batting an eye, spending time enjoying him. It is so pleasurable. It is so amazing. I mean, I don't have enough time, to be quite honest with you. When I begin to meditate and I reflect and I study and I listen and I, and I worship, and when I'm in that moment, the, the time flies by. That's my hope for you. It's my hope for you. I was last night, I was, just, I was reading a little bit of uh, St. Augustine's Confessions. And I was able to download it and listen to it, and I was reading it too, and you can get it for free online. And I was just walking through that, oh my goodness, for about an hour, an hour and a half, just, oh, just soaking and absorbing and enjoying, enjoying the presence, having a sense of his presence right there in the room with me and his love. I mean, when you have that experience, and so, so it's, the, what is fellowship with God? What does it look like? It's heart satisfaction based on biblical soundness. But it's enjoying God's presence. And then, then what do you do in this interaction? Number three, mutual sharing of truth and love. Mutual sharing of truth and love. You notice verse 5, he says, light. So when you think of light, what do you think of? When you think of light, you think of light. Okay, I, I do too. So what are, the, uh, what are the characteristics of light? Well, illumination, two things that came to mind. There's a number of things. But illumination, so you can see... You know, early, I was thinking this morning, I get up early about between 4 and 5 o'clock because we get over here on the campus about 6.30 to set up and do all that. And so initially when I wake up and I, I kind of have to work my way through the room and, and so I'll turn the, the hall light on or something. I don't want to wake up my wife because she doesn't usually, usually wake up until about noon or 1 o'clock. And uh, I'm just kidding. That's a bad joke. I shouldn't do that. shouldn't say that. But, um, but she's not here and I can say a lot, okay? And uh, I can say whatever I want to say. So don't, don't tell her. If anybody tells her, I'll know who it came from. But, uh, but I don't want to wake her up. But it, that illumination of that, I can, I can kind of make my way through the room. When I was working out at Palo Verde, uh, we used these quartz lights. And it was really cold and dark in that big building. And we used these quartz lights to uh, heat up our food and to get warm by. So that when I think of lights, I think of, uh, I think of illumination, but I also think of warmth. And I think that's what he's talking about here. So illumination would be truth and warmth would be love. So that God is light and him is no darkness. And in fact, every healthy relationship will have this. They'll have both truth and love. So you could look at your relationships with your family, friends, spouse. There should be truth and love, mutual sharing of truth and love. Now, one of the reasons why oftentimes we don't pray is because we don't really feel that God even hears us. I'll bet you that if you really thought about it, the reason why you're not really fervent in your prayer is because you really don't think, you just don't think that your prayers are getting beyond the room. And, and yet the Bible would say, he hears you. 
And that part of this mutual sharing, the more you understood that I am talking to God and he hears me. Sometimes I just have to spend time just thinking about that, reflecting on that, until that goes from my head into my heart to where it becomes a reality. Because before that, it's just kind of formality. Oh, sure, he hears me. No, no, no. He hears you. He hears you. He knows you. He understands your heart. He is with you. He is there in that room with you. Do you understand that? And so what, what happens is that you begin to share your heart in ways that you never would before. God's here with me through the work and the power of the Holy Spirit. He told me he'd never leave me or forsake me. He guaranteed it with the cross. And so, so you need to have a sense that, that he hears you. You're sharing truth, but then, then he speaks to you. You know that he's speaking to you. Because I can read you know, a chapter or two, and then all of a sudden there'll be a verse on there that'll pop off the page. And I'll go, oh, that's for me. God, you know where I am. You know exactly what I need this morning. Thank you, God. And uh, so there's that mutual sharing of truth. But then there's those times where I just, I just absorb his love. That's probably the most important thing you could do every day is just to know that he loves you. And to have his love go from your head to your heart where you just, you just savor it. You just enjoy it. God, I know that you love me and you think the world of me. And you can't take your eyes off of me. And, and all these thoughts that you think about me even right now as I'm interacting with you, as I'm experiencing you. So there's this love. And so what I do is that as I experience his love and I'm reminded of his love, I can't help but want to love him back. And so I spend a considerable amount of time through, you know, just saying, God, I love you. I thank you. I'll lay in bed at night and just like that, like last night, I was just saying, oh, God, I thank you so much. Sometimes out loud while my wife's laying there, you know, God, I love you so much. Please fix my wife. I can't hardly handle it anymore. No, I, I don't do that. I'm just joking. But we will, we will pray. But I'll just lay there and just say, God, thank you so much for your goodness. Thank you for this nice warm bed. Thank you for this beautiful wife that's right next to me. Thank you for the great meal that we just ate a few hours ago. Thank you for the leisure time we had today to be able to get recharged today. God, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I love you. I worship you. I adore you. I'm telling you, you want to recharge your battery? You spend time adoring him and singing. Sometimes even when you start, you don't really get a chance to see him. But as you do it more, God inhabits the praises of his people. That's, um, that's my old Pentecostal, you know, that's, an old, that's a, an, a, an old Testament from the Psalms. It actually says that as we praise him, there's a there's greater manifestation of his presence in our life. As we do that. And so that's what it is. Mutual sharing of truth. In love, and, and he primarily speaks to us through his word, so you have to spend some time in his word. But don't study his word like it's, like it's life lessons. I'm trying to find some life lessons for today. No, 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 no. It's an opportunity to get a glimpse into his beauty and glory. To have him satisfy your soul. Oh, God, speak to me. I'm interacting with you. You're speaking. These are your very words to me this morning. So you, you have to approach the Bible. That's because that's the way you, you study the Bible. And then the next one, fourth, is self-denial that gains infinitely more than you lose. So what is fellowship with God? What does it look like? It's heart satisfaction based on biblical soundness, enjoying God's presence, mutual sharing of truth and love. And then a self-denial that gains infinitely more than you lose. Um, Verse 6, he said, we can't say we have fellowship with God while we walk in darkness. Now, I know that in a big room like this, there's a lot of people here. There's a number of people here that are probably continuing to walk in darkness. And you know that you're walking in darkness and you know that you're living in a way that's inconsistent with the Bible. You know that. And the reason why you do that is that nobody walks in darkness because they they have to. They do it because they want to. And they want to because they are really convinced that walking in darkness is actually going to be more satisfying than walking in light. And that's wrong. 
That couldn't be further from the truth. So I'm here to blow the cover on that so that if you see yourself kind of pursuing these things and you go, oh, that's dated and antiquated, what he says in there, you know, you can't, you know, you can't really trust that. No, that's a lie because I, he, is, he is for you, not against you. He has your best interest at heart. And the more you align your life up with what this book says, basically this comes to us out of his love and wisdom. His wisdom, yeah, knowing how he created us, knowing our weaknesses and strengths, knowing what is best for us. He's established some guidelines, ground rules guardrails oh my goodness to keep us on track to keep us from crashing and burning but see the reason why we walk in darkness is because we're actually convinced that we'll find greater degree of happiness out there as opposed to in here in him so i say that that if you find yourself doing that the self-denial that you think that you're doing is not actually self-denial because you actually gain infinitely more than you lose when you say no to this, no to, ooh, I want to pursue this. When he's saying, no, I've got something better for you, it's because he has your best interest at heart, whatever that better might be. There's a whole list. The Ten Commandments kind of helps you to walk through some of that. And so it's just, it's just that's, that's, very, uh, that's how it is in walking with him. Self-denial, in fact, I put a cross-reference there, Mark 8, 34 and 38. He says, if you're going to follow me, you must deny yourself. Take up your cross and, and, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you're going to lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you're going to find it. So, yeah, you do say no to certain things. Anything that's beginning to interfere with your relationship with him, any kind of darkness you find yourself walking in, you just say, Phew, don't need that. I got light over here. I'm going to walk in the light. I'm going to experience the warmth of his love and truth because it's a great way to live. But, but I need to tell you this. If you want to be free, if you, if you ever really, really, really want to be free, don't, don't get into a relationship. Yeah. And especially, don't fall in love and get married. Oh, my goodness. Because you're doomed from that point on. You will no longer be free. Because... Uh, and, uh, and that's, uh, that's just my lesson to all of those of you that are single. Um, and when we were first married, Nancy and I, and I uh, we lived up in Springerville, and we spent a lot of time together, didn't have many friends up there, and we came back down, have a lot more friends down here, because this is where we were kind of born and raised. And, and I started going to play racquetball with a buddy of mine, Kurt, on Saturdays, and uh, we did that consistently, and... One Saturday, instead of only taking a couple hours, it took us a little longer than that. We, I didn't come back for a couple of days. And um, actually, it was not a couple of days. It was, more, it was more like from, a, instead of two hours, it was about four hours or something. We just got distracted and played a bunch of guys and had some fun. And when I came in, I remember my wife looking at me like, where have you been? And it's like, like, what do you mean, where have I been? I mean, I'm an adult and, uh, and it's like... Uh, who are you to tell me and ask me? And, you know, those are the thoughts that were going through my head, but I was very immature and really stupid. But, um, but I'm thinking, I, and this is what I was thinking. I was like, oh, my goodness. I had more freedom living at home, staying at home, than I do now in this marriage relationship. And, you know, that was kind of the dumb things that you think through. Uh, and uh, so now I've got more lack of freedom? No, 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 no. Actually, and I say that, I said that all in jest and just kind of jokingly. Actually, I appreciated her asking me that. And the fact is, I did owe her an explanation because there is accountability. And that self-denial that that requires brought to me relationship and intimacy that far went beyond, you know, than 
than hanging out with my buddy Kurt or anything else that I would experience. In fact, like I said, self-denial that gains infinitely more than you lose. I appreciated her asking me that. I mean, initially I didn't. I struggled through that. But I realized, wait, she has responsibility. She needs to. And and this is a violation of trust. If I said I'm going to be there at a certain time and I'm not there for two hours, that just wipes out the trust. And trust is necessary for intimacy. And, oh, my goodness, I'm undermining this relationship. And why would I do that? Because this relationship, I made a commitment. And this is really, really, really important to me. And so it is with God. And so it is even more so when God, when he calls you accountable, when he holds you accountable, when he speaks into your life, it's because he loves you. And you're cultivating this, this trust between the two of you. And so that's part of what, what is fellowship with God. Because so, it's, so listen to me. When, you, when you're a Christian, it's not so much a, a matter of, of renunciation. Oh, take up your cross. Come on. Let's, let's all bear our cross. No, no, no. It's not renunciation. It's re-evaluation. It's that when you begin to look at what you have in Jesus compared to what you're denying yourself of, it's in Jesus. He is a magnificent, it's a magnificent obsession of a heavenly treasure beside which everything else in life is of no value. Self-denial that gains infinitely more than you lose. Oh my goodness, why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you not run towards him? Why would you not eliminate those things that would keep you from him? Why would you not do everything you can to, get, to have and experience more of him and more of God? Nobody in their right mind, anybody in their right mind would do that. You're not in your right mind if you're not doing that. You're out of touch with the reality that he, that he is our most satisfying reality. He is our most satisfying reality. That's the Christian life. And so, number five, and so you got uh, what is fellowship with God? What does it look like? Heart satisfaction based on biblical soundness, enjoying God's presence, mutual sharing, truth and love, self-denial that gains infinitely more than you lose, and then increased desire to connect with other Christians. I don't know if you saw this. It's tucked away there in the text that we read. It's verse 7. We have fellowship with one another. What does he talk about? He's talking about church. He's talking about community. I don't know if you realize this, but when you made a commitment of, uh, of your life to Christ, uh, God intended for you to be a part of a church, a church family, a church community. And I know that we live in America today and we're pretty rugged individualists. And there's a lot of people out there that are right here in the community that would say, I'm a Christian, I don't even need to go to church. I'm a good Christian, I don't even need to go to church. Well, first of all, I would question whether or not you're really a Christian. Secondly, I would question whether or not you're actually a good Christian. Seriously. I, I, you know, and I'm, I know I'm preaching to the choir because most of you all hang out here with us and you, you attend here. But listen to what it says. What, what, and we're going to be studying through the book of Ephesians here starting uh, Easter, and I, I've been studying through this, and there's this text that stood out to me, and he's talking about those that have, have gone from, from darkness to light, from headed to hell to heaven, that they're in this relationship with God, fellowship with God, and it says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens, so you get that idea of fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household, like a family, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, so you got this building kind of an idea. So he gives these different metaphors throughout that. So built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. That's Ephesians two nineteen through 20. So there's this real connectedness. So, so if you're really walking with Jesus, there will be this increased desire to connect with other Christians. There is no way, there is no way you can say to me, you're walking with Jesus and in that same breath despise the church, the bride of Christ. I don't know how you can do that. 
I, I, I have to think that you don't, you don't know Jesus. You don't know the Jesus that I know. Jesus gave his life for his bride. Yeah, the, the bride is, is a bit messed up because we need Jesus. We need his help, and it's a mess. But, but don't become a part of the problem. Become a part of the solution and become his bride and be connected to a local church family. By the way, when you study through the scripture, the New Testament, and it talks about the church, this word ecclesia, out of the 110 times it uses it, 90 times it's talking about a local church like Desert Breeze local church, ecclesia, be connected. If you're walking with Jesus, you're going to connect with other Christians. And you cannot say that you're walking with Jesus and despise his bride any more than you can hang out with me and despise my wife and talk bad about her. I wouldn't let you do that. I would probably wouldn't hang out with you. I said, that's... So, so I know... In America today, a lot of people, God bless America, and I'm a Christian, I'm a good Christian, but I'm not connected to any church family. Well, there's something wrong with that. That's all I'm saying. Check it out. Read it. Let it convict you. Let it motivate you. But the most important thing is probably because you're not walking with Jesus. Because if you really knew his heart, he bled for his church. He died for his church. Oh, my goodness. Why wouldn't you want to serve him and love him and connect with others that are doing the same? Okay. Preaching to the choir, aren't I? Yes, you are. And um, uh, was there something else that I was going to say there? No, I'm going to move on. Verse 6. I mean, number 6. Number 6. Increased desire to show, uh, to show and tell unchurched about fellowship with God. So this is evangelism. So not only are you going to want to connect with other Christians, so if you're truly walking with him... What is fellowship with God? We're talking about what it looks like. And you see this in the text too. Did you notice in verses 3 and 4? His joy won't be complete until they know this fellowship. Okay, everybody look up here. Once you've tasted a fellowship with God, (laughs) you want everybody that you care about to know it too and to experience what you're experiencing. And if you don't, then you don't have what the Apostle John is talking about here. Because he's saying, this will complete my joy. This will complete my joy and complete your joy. Man, if you could just connect with him. That's what I love about Desert Breeze. This ain't about me. It's about him. One of the best things that you can say to me on a Sunday morning is that when you come up to me and say, hey, Pastor Ray, wow. It looks like your hair is getting a little thicker on top there. And uh, No, that's not the best thing you could say to me. Nor could you say, hey, it looks like you've lost a few pounds. You're looking pretty you know, buff there. No, that's not the best thing you could say to me. The best thing you could say to me is that, Pastor Ray, while we were studying today, I'm beginning to get a bigger glimpse of Jesus. And my heart is becoming more smitten by his beauty and his glory. That's the most encouraging thing you could ever say to me. Because it ain't about me. If you can see him when we hang out, oh my goodness, praise God. I'm going to die and go and be with him one of these days. You're going to be on your own, okay? So you need to see him. You need to see him more than, than anything. You need to walk with him and know him and experience him. And um, my desire is to show and tell that to people all around. And, and it's almost kind of like, you know, when you have your favorite beverage or whatever. Yesterday was one of those cloudy days. Did it seem kind of like a cloudy, kind of ho-hum? Anybody kind of like, oh, I don't want to do anything. You ever feel like that? Yeah, Anybody? So it's one of those days, so, you know, I was kind of preparing for this, and I was thinking, and so guess what I typically do on those kind of days? I like these kind of days. Is I, I, I get me one of these quadruple, quadruple shot 
Vente mocha. Mmm. Oh, on a hot, on a cold kind of day out, just drink that. I mean, what is your favorite favorite beverage? When you enjoy something like that, you want to share it with everybody. You want to make one for everybody. That's how it is walking with Him. Increased desire to show and tell unchurched about fellowship with God. Here's number seven. Number seven, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because we're going to talk more about it next week. That's what the topic is next week about this transformation. So supernaturally transformed, heart-producing growth. Did you notice what he says here in verse nine? He says, cleanses us from all sin. So here's what he does. He initially cleanses us from, from all of the sins that we have committed and that, and that we will commit. So he never will hold our sins against us. But he certainly wants us to bring those to his attention as we're walking with him. Because he's wanting to bring about what is known as not just justification, but sanctification, healing, and wholeness. So when we agree with him, he's able to work in our life, in, in that area of our life, to bring cleansing. By the way, he can also bring cleansing to the hurts that you have from others in your life. So supernaturally transformed heart producing growth. In fact, this is the text that we're going to be studying next week. Second Peter 1, chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. Now, this is what you need to know. There's a major difference between a moral restrained will versus a supernaturally transformed heart. A moral restrained will, you can experience life change, but it can come from the extrinsic from the outside of you based on fear and pride. Uh, pastors use that stuff all the time, fear and pride, to motivate people to get them to change. You better change and you... Uh, it's more fear and pride. But, but a, a supernaturally transformed heart is a heart not out of fear and pride, but out of a heart that is smitten by the beauty and the glory of Jesus Christ. It's like, oh my goodness. You did what for me? You give me life? You forgive me of my sins? You're putting my life back together? Yes, I want to love you. I want to serve you. I want to go for you. Yes, 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 yes. So that that begins to transform you. He becomes the passion of your life. You worship him. He's he's your goal. He's the purpose why why you live and and why you exist. Now, this is what you need to know. I'm going to hit you hard with this. If you say you're in fellowship with God... And not changing, and you're as as old of of a Christian as I am. If you've been around the Christian faith as long as I have, and you tell me you've been walking with God, and you are not changing, you are not walking with God. Because I don't know how you can walk with Him and not change. Our churches are packed with folks like that. They are just as anxious, just as angry, just as bitter, just as cynical, just as sarcastic. I'm thinking, ho, 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 ho. Are you walking with him? Because he will transform your life. You will experience more of the fruit of the Holy Spirit off the scale if you're walking with him. And it was, it was a major convicting point in my life. It was about a decade or so in my life that I was not changing. And my wife brought that to my attention. <laughs> and I appreciated that accountability. It's like, yeah, what's up with this? I'm still circling the mountain. And why are we still having the same issues? Man, we need to hit the deck, man. We need to get on our knees. We need to seek him. There's some disconnect here. We're playing a lot of games, aren't we? Let's get real with God. Let's pour out our heart to him. I want to know him. I want to experience him. There's something wrong here. And when we begin to do that, God began to transform our lives. Unbelievable. And you'd have to talk with my wife and talk with those that are closest to me. And she would tell you, oh my goodness, praise God. Has God been changing him or what? Yeah, because I probably ran, almost ran her off a few times in my life. Because of just how I responded and how I behaved and the things that I said and did. And 
It's just crazy. And here I've been, I'm a pastor, walking with Jesus, and abusing my wife? That's jacked up. That's messed up. There's something wrong with that. And yet you see this all the time. You see pastors and leaders and people are doing all kinds of stuff and running off with this and that person. And It's just crazy. It doesn't make any sense to me. If you're walking with Jesus, if you know him and you know his love, man, he will transform your heart. You will want him more than anything. That's when you know you're on, on track and you're, you're going for it. And, and let me just say this. You need to know this, that, that there is no wound that can't be healed. There's no habit that can't be broken. There's no life that can't be changed through fellowship with him. Oh, my goodness. So how, how can I have fellowship with God? The way we entered into fellowship with God is the way we sustain it and grow in our fellowship with God. How do we enter into fellowship with God? There's two words. It's on your notes. It's we repent and believe. Repent and believe. We repent and believe the gospel. We repent and believe the gospel. If you can just remember those two words, and the, and the Bible has given us a lot of different places where we can understand that. But... Uh, for instance, I'm using for those two words. Did you notice when the Bible says he, uh, the apostle Paul, and, and I get repentance and believe in those, in those verses there, in verses 8 through 10, I get repent. So there's what repentance is. It's confessing, agreeing with God, and then turning from that sin, and then believe is found in 1 John 2, verses 1 and 2. And you'll notice that I also aligned that up with when the Bible says in Ephesians 4.30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. So that's what, what we're doing is that when we refuse to repent is that we're grieving the Holy Spirit. And then when we're not believing is that we're quenching the Holy Spirit. Quenching is that we're putting out the fire. So, so repentance is that, uh, so you begin to identify, so, so let's walk this through. Okay, here we go. You guys ready? How do you know when your heart is being led astray, how do you identify your idols of your heart? And I've been teaching this the last couple of years, so you should know this. Turn to the person next to you real quick. Tell them or ask them, how do you identify the idols of your heart? Because that's the issue that we're talking about here. We're talking about idols of our heart because everything else kind of flows out of that. So how do I identify the idols of my heart real quick? Okay, that was another pop quiz. Here's how you identify the idols of your heart. Hold up, I got a brain freeze. I just drank that and drank too fast right there. That's an idol right there. Uh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to distract you on that one. But uh, So here's how you identify the idols of your heart. You look at your what? You've heard me use this term before, inordinate desires. What are your inordinate desires? Nothing wrong with football. But I'm telling you, if you're getting more excited about watching a football game than you are coming to church or encountering God, there's something wrong with your encountering God. Because I'm telling you what, there's no football game out there that compares to knowing God and walking with God. I love football. I'm going to go and watch football later on today. But that doesn't even come close to walking with God and knowing God. So when my desires, when I get more excited about other things than I am God, that's an inordinate desire. And so I repent of that. I go, oh my goodness, God, if I only knew you, I would not be getting so excited about here. And there's nothing wrong. He's not going to hammer you for getting excited here. But your excitement should be more for him than what it is there. It's just giving you kind of a dim glimpse of what you can have in him when you get excited over the things of this world. He's just saying, that's a dim glimpse. That's a, a football is a, is a gift and a pointer to God. But you're missing God. Here's another way that I do it is the inordinate emotions. That when I've given my heart to something, anybody say that? Your inordinate emotions, Anybody? 
I got to keep teaching this, don't I? There's only like a few of us here. Maybe more of you did. So when I start doing so, when I start experiencing inordinate emotions, it gives me opportunity to repent and believe. Repent and believe. Wait a minute, something's going on. Let me give you a quick illustration of this. This last week, as you guys well know, through the Dare You to Move campaign and all the things that we do, is that we want to eventually get our own building and our own place. And so we've been currently negotiating with our current landlord where our offices are maybe to expand. We ran into some problems last week and they're wanting us to pay for a bunch of extra stuff and we hit a roadblock and so then there was this other piece of property that seems a little more promising that came up and we were all excited about it only to find out the possibility that there's an investment company coming in and maybe going to try to purchase it instead of us and so i mean we're looking at different ways and all of that and and so i had one of these moments i probably should call it more than a moment but it's just that anxiety kind of pegging out a little bit you ever have those moments sometimes when you're thinking about life and working through the things and my anxiety kind of pegged out and i'm going I was anxious, and, I, and, and so what I did, I took about 10 to 15 minutes and just sat in his presence, and I was reminded of the fact that, and God reminded me as I'm sitting there just thinking about him, I go, what the heck, why am I, and so, so the inordinate emotion signals something in my heart, I have, I need to, there's, there's some repentance that needs to go on, so I need to repent and believe, so I need to turn from sin, right now I'm putting my identity in the fact that we can get this all worked out rather than in Christ, and he's in control, so I just sat for a few moments, and I was reminded that he is infinite in wisdom, he's perfect in love, he's unlimited in his power. And that, and that I, can trust, I can trust his guidance and his wisdom. And I can trust his love. And he's going to guide me. And yes, I can ask boldly. And I should. He invites me to ask boldly. But I need to surrender completely. Because his will is what I would choose if I knew everything that he knew. And that began to hit me. And then I began to rest. And I go, oh, thanks. About 10 to 15 minutes. I was just like, okay. Got recalibrated there. So I repented, and I believe, believe the gospel. So, so don't grieve the Holy Spirit. When do we grieve the Holy Spirit? When we have inordinate anxiety. See, what we're doing, if I have inordinate anxiety, it's because I'm denying his love at that moment. It's an opportunity for us to connect with him. It says, what is more important to me than him and his glory? There's something, obviously, when I have that inordinate anxiety, anger, depression going on. And so, so it gives me opportunity to say, hey, I need to repent. I need to look at this. I need to allow him to bring healing to my life. And I look for ways that I'm, I'm denying his love. Because if I really knew that he loved me, and this is what I'll often, often say, if I really knew that he loved me, how would I be thinking? What would I be feeling? How would I be responding to this? So it gives me opportunity to repent. And then the belief here. The belief is, then don't quench the Holy Spirit. Stir up your, that fire for the Holy Spirit. Because belief is more than agreement with facts in the head. It's an appetite for God in the heart. So the key to wholeness or holiness is not denying yourself happiness, but increasing and pursuing it from the deepest and most durable source, Jesus Christ. Let me end with a story. And then you guys are out of here. And then uh, we'll pray. And then you'll be out of here. Here's a story. It's out of uh, Joseph Stoll's book, Simply Jesus, is what he says. The meal was just about finished, and this is in his chapter 2, where it says, I'd rather have Jesus. The meal was just about finished when I leaned over and asked Billy Graham the question I had hoped to ask him all evening. Marty and I, 
That's uh, Joseph Stoll's wife, Marty, and I, Joseph Stoll, had been seated next to Dr. Graham at a dinner for the staff and board of his organization. Billy, 80 at the time, was lucid and interesting. Wondering what he would say about his highest joys in life, I asked, of all your experiences in ministry, what have you enjoyed most? Then thinking... Then thinking I might help him out a little, I quickly added, was it your time spent with presidents and heads of state and, and, or was it, and then he began to go through this list and before I could finish my uh, next sentence, Billy swept his hand across the tablecloth as if to push my suggestions onto the floor. None of that, he said. By far the greatest joy of my life has been my fellowship with Jesus. Hearing him speak to me, having him guide me, sensing his presence with me and his power through me, this has been the highest pleasure of my life. Christ suffered to bring you to the Father. And the best gift that he gives us is himself. And there is deep, durable joy that awaits you as you pursue this fellowship with God. Would you stand with me for closing prayer? So God, once again, you... You've spoken to us, and as I've looked over this audience, I know that you're speaking to many people here. There was, that, there was something in their eyes and in their heart and in their, their, their expression. God, I know you're working in their life. I pray you'd continue that work. And God, may we, we understand what this is. May we have heart satisfaction based on biblical soundness. May we enjoy your presence more than anything and have this mutual sharing of truth and love and, and, and the self-denial that gains infinitely more than we lose. And this connection, may we learn how to connect with others that are, that are wanting the same thing in their life, to, to know you and to walk with you. And God, may we pass this on to those that don't know you. God, continue to transform our lives. May we be transformed from the inside. There, there would be a supernaturally transformed heart and that we would become more and more like you in your character. God, we love you. Thank you for the gift of yourself to us. Now, we give our lives to you. And may we live our lives for you and for your glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. God bless you.